I always joke that, um, and it's not actually a joke, but my favorite time to preach is after she is sung, because it almost doesn't matter what I say, you'll leave here remembering whatever she sang. So um, it kind of frees me to just not really be afraid. Um, so uh, I thank God uh, for her. I thank God for this opportunity. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm um, just going to share with you for a few minutes um, from a fairly familiar passage, but one that seems to speak to me over and over again, and just hope that the things that God's been speaking to my heart, that he will confirm them in your hearts as well. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about tension and transition. Uh, Two things that most of us dislike, because both of them create change or define change for us. And most of us are trying to find that sweet spot in life where if we can stay right here, growth happens on out, we'll be pretty comfortable with it. And yet the reality is that no growth happens in comfort. And faith doesn't grow or build in comfort, but faith actually is largely about discomfort. If we're never led into places where we're uncomfortable, we'll never grow in our faith. We'll never use our faith. We'll never even know the power that faith has. And so I believe that while we're trying to hide from tension, God's trying to create it. And while we're hoping to avoid transition, God is constantly causing it in our lives. And so one of the things that I know to be true, even though I don't know you today, is that you are either in transition transition have just come out of transition or about to enter into transition because transition is a constant and yet we constantly think about it as something that we'll get over and then once we get through this then once we get settled here then and have you noticed that the thens are so much shorter than we expect them to be Because God desires us to actually live in transition. Because what is transition other than movement? And too many of us are trying to move until we can be still. And God is trying to move us out of our stillness. And so I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about tension and transition. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to read a Portion. You probably know it, but follow along with me. Starting in verse 1, we'll read through verse 16. The scripture says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and then went and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. A handful, he said, 
As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you today that goodness and mercy truly do follow us all the days of our lives. We are promised that no matter what this day brings, goodness and mercy will be following us as we travel through it. And so, Father, I pray today that you would Stir your spirit within us to know you, to hear you, to follow you so that you can change us into your image, so that you can make us more like Jesus. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that the same way you inspired and to obey, write this book that you would inspire us to read it, to hear it, to understand it, and to obey it. Have your way among us. May every one of us decrease so that you may increase in every one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. First Kings 17 begins with the introduction of Elijah. We don't know how he got where he was. We don't know any of the story of his life before this moment. But at this moment, we know that he went in front of King Ahab and declared, as surely as the Lord lives, it will not rain and there will be no dew until I say so. It's a bold proclamation to make. And usually when we teach this lesson, whether it's in Sunday school or through sermons, we skip over what may be one of the most important pieces of it, and that is, why did God choose to create a drought? Like, why was this what God chose to do? We know that Ahab was a wicked king. At that point, he was as more wicked than any king that had come before. And we know that he established the altar of Baal. We know all of these things about how he led Israel astray. And so we have this idea where we just think, this is just God's judgment. This is just God, how, how God is getting his attention. This is how God reacts to idolatry. But there's more to it than that. You see, if you look back just a few verses into uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 32, Baal, is that when Ahab became king, that he had married Jezebel, whose father was a priest of Baal. She was a priestess of Baal. And so Ahab established an altar and a temple of Baal there in Israel. Well, Baal was believed to be the Canaanite god in charge of the rain. So when God comes and says, there won't be any rain until I say so, he's revealing the powerlessness of the idols in their lives. Now, here's the thing. God's still working to do that in all of our lives. Now, we read this and we think, I don't have an idol, I don't have a temple, I'm not an idolater. But the reality is, anytime we depend upon something other than God for what God promises he will take care of, we become idolaters. 
And something in our heart gets turned upside down and gets moved in a direction it's not meant to be moved in. And so we, again, we envision that we're not idolaters because we don't have wooden idols. But the reality is anything that is askew in our dependence has become idolatry in our lives. And so sometimes we wonder, why are things not going the way I expected or wanted them to be? Often it's God trying to do something in us while we're focused on everything going on around us. And so God speaks through Elijah to explain, I'm the God who controls the rain. And so it doesn't matter who you've worshipped, and it doesn't matter what you've established, and it doesn't matter what you think should be, I will come and change everything to show you who I am. See, here's what I believe about the scriptures. The scriptures are not here to teach us who we should be. They're here to tell us who, tell us who God is. Because John 1.18 tells us, no one has ever seen God in any way, but the only begotten of God has revealed him to us. That means that in our best understanding, we don't know who God is. The other problem we have is we're forgetful. In fact, the beginning of idolatry is forgetfulness. Do you ever wonder how they got here in 1 Kings 17? Why is it that no one went up and reminded them and said, we serve the God who brings water out of rocks. We serve the God who spoke to the waters and they came to be. Why would we establish a God of rain when we serve the God who created all of these things? Ultimately, it's because they forgot somewhere along the way. We are a forgetful people. And yet God doesn't judge us for our forgetfulness. He is a God constantly reminding us. If you ever wondered, thought about how good God is to us in our forgetfulness, he has given us his word to constantly remind us. And then do you remember what Jesus said? One of the first jobs of the Holy Spirit was, he told his apostles, he will remind you of my wheels. Don't judge yourself for being forgetful, but use the tools to overcome forgetfulness. We are a people who forgets and everything that we think we will remember somehow runs away and those things we wish we could forget, somehow they stay close to us. And yet the Spirit of God, if we are willing to listen, is constantly reminding us and the Word of God is our eternal reminder because the written Word reveals the living Word. And so Israel got to where they were because they began with forgetfulness and it led them to idolatry. I don't want to judge anyone today, but I would like to encourage you today. Let the Spirit of God reveal the places of idolatry that have begun in our hearts. Because each one of us have the, the makings of them. Each one of us get comfortable in places. We get comfortable with ideas. Each one of us begin in these places and we think, because it has been good here, it must only be good here. Because this is the way God started it. This must be the way God will always do it in my life. And the reality is God is a God of movement. And so the places he begins in us are not the places he ends in us. He begins so that he can lead us through. But if we demand to stay at the beginning, we will become idolatrous of things that used to be the way God worked in our hearts, but are not the way he wants to work in our hearts any further. See, the presence of God desires to do two key things. It desires to reveal, we have to stay, expose our condition and to reveal God's character. Because the one thing we have to stand on is who God is. We are all trying to find out who we are. And I think that that is a fine thing to long for, but there's no way to know who we are unless we are confident of who God is. 
Unless I am sure of his character, and what is his character? He is good and his love endures forever. Unless I am sure that everything that he does is good because he himself is good and that his love never fades, his love never fails, that he loves me with an everlasting love, then I will constantly be trying to figure out how I can be better rather than trusting and leaning upon the fact that he does not ever change. God was coming to reveal something to an entire nation through a single event. It's not going to rain until you know that I'm God. God creates tension. Have you noticed how often we're asking God to remove tension from our lives? To release it, to, to relieve us of tension. And yet I am a firm believer in this. God creates tension because it's intention we listen, it's intention we watch, and it's intention where he can change us. We don't have time, but if you go through scripture, you can see God ordering tension. He ordered tension at the Red Sea. He led Israel to that position so that they would be caught in tension so he could say to them, stand still, salvation of your God. What if your tension is leading you to the stillness you long for? Don't seek to avoid it. Go headlong into it because it's the spirit of God that's leading you. Quickly, back in our passage, Elijah comes to Ahab. He says, it will not rain again until I say so. And the Bible says that after Ahab had been, excuse me, after Elijah had been obedient, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Sometimes the same spirit that leads you to speak will then tell you to be quiet. Sometimes the same spirit that tells you to step out will tell you to sit down. Sometimes the same spirit that begins a work will tell you it's time to wait for the work. We have to be willing to be bold in nothing as much as we are bold in something. What I mean is our obedience is not only in what we do, it's in those seasons and those times when we are willing to do what he says even when it's not what we want to do. Do you ever think that Elijah thought, I'm going to step out in faith and then I'm going to go high? That's not, that's not how faith works, right? That's not even how we preach it most of the time. If you have faith, keep walking in it, keeps marching in it, keeps standing in it. What about when God says, now sit down? What about when God says, now be quiet and let me work? Because ultimately all we're doing is beginning a process that only God can accomplish. And he, of you who have people you're praying for, you have things you're praying for, you have people you wanna see saved and changed and healed, speak what you know is right and then trust God to do the rest of the work. We are seed planters, we are not seed growers. Only God can give the increase. And so I challenge you, don't believe it's yours to make it happen. Believe it's in God's hands and he will cause it to grow because that's what he does. And so speak your peace and then pray God's work. Because we can oversaturate. We can say too much. We can say it too often. Let God have his way. So the same word of the Lord that led Elijah to go speak to Ahab then told Elijah to go hide from Ahab. But God told him he had everything under control. God said, I have commanded the ravens to feed you. And there's a brook there that you'll drink from. And so Elijah did everything that God told him to do. He goes by the brook. He hides the scriptures, or excuse me, the timetable tells us he was there for about a year. So for about a year, he's in isolation. He's alone. He's where God told him to be. He's drinking out of a brook every day. And twice a day, ravens are bringing him bread and meat to eat. Because God takes care of us when we're where God tells us to be. 
We don't have to look around and try to figure out. And, and have you noticed this again is our forgetfulness? Have you noticed that some of us will get fed sumptuously for breakfast and then worry about where we'll get dinner, food for dinner? Some, some of us will have God do something miraculous in our lives and we're not even done enjoying it before we start worrying about what's gonna happen next. There is this point where we have to learn that the God who has will also, as long as we stay where he's put us, he will take care of what he knows we need, not what we tell him we have to have. And so twice a day, ravens come. Twice a day, they feed him and he drinks from the brook. And then the scripture says something that to me is startling. Verse seven, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So Elijah was where God put him and he was doing everything God told him to do. He was completely obedient to the word of God. And suddenly his brook dried up. Now, that's tough for us to reconcile because we tend to believe that as long as I'm obedient, I'm being blessed. As long as I'm doing what God told me, God will keep doing what I'm telling him to do. We, we have this almost give and take thing that we believe with God that I'll be obedient. You just keep taking care of what I need you to take care of. But then there are moments in all of our lives where the brook dries up. And we have this tendency to believe that if my brook dries up, it means I must have been disobedient or something must have got, gone wrong or the, the must have come in somehow. And so we keep trying to pray water back into our brook rather than understanding that the God who sent me there knew he'd send me somewhere else later. That it's not the enemy that dries the brook, it's God. He knows what he's doing. He's creating tension that causes us to go deeper in our relationship with him, not to stay where we've been for this last period of time. Why did the brook dry up? It tells us because there'd been no rain in the land. So that means Elijah actually prophesied his own dried up brook. Because Elijah's the one who said, there won't be any more rain until I say so. And so he sat there and drank until his brook ran dry. Ever wonder if he was tempted to call down rain? God, you know, I'm running a little low. And so thus saith the Lord, today's the day for rain. You ever wonder if he thought, God, I thought you would at least take care of my water in the midst of this drought. Why do we live in this world and think we're not to, to be affected by what's going on in it? See, we're called to be affected. It's part of our calling. Elijah had to feel the weight of the drought. He wasn't called to go around and, and be like, you know, my God keeps me well watered while the rest of you die of thirst. That's not a God who makes it rain on the just and the unjust. That's not a God who loves all to be a desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. We as the people of God need to learn how to be affected by the same things that affect the world around us so we can speak to the need by, about the love of God rather than speaking as if, if you trust God, you'll never be in need. We live in a world that's being shaken constantly. Everything that can shake will shake. We watched at the beginning of service the, the World Vision video, which I absolutely love. Our church is real involved with World Vision in many different fronts. There's this point where just because I'm fed doesn't mean someone else isn't hungry. Just because I have what I need doesn't mean someone else is lacking it. And there's a lesson I learned from my father, and that is there are things that we can choose not to have so that others can have what they need. And that's part of being affected by the world that we live in. We're called to be affected. We're just called to not be changed. Stand firm. 
trust the goodness of God. Trust the character of the one that we know feeds us and leads us. That if he led us to this brook, he will lead us from this brook. But some of us struggle because where God has fed us is where we think we should always be fed. Where we've gotten our water is where we always want our water. And the moment something changes, we wonder what went wrong rather than believing that God is leading us righteously. The brook dried up. Have you ever had a brook in your life dry up? Have you ever taken care of your ship that was feeding you, stopped feeding you? Have you ever had a season that was taking care of your needs, stopped taking care of your needs? You ever have a song that every time you heard it, it did what you wanted it to do, and suddenly it falls like, it's, like you're deaf to it? These are these moments where God's saying, I need the brook to dry up because I need you to understand it's me who gives you sustenance, not the thing that, that I brought to bring it to you. The brook was nothing but a vessel. God was the water that kept Elijah alive. The ravens were commanded by God. And so there's these points in all of our lives where the same God who commanded the ravens to come tells the ravens to stop. The same God who made the water run tells the water to turn off because he wants us to remember that we're not dependent upon what he gave us. We're dependent on the one who gives to us. An amazing thing happens in verse, uh, in verse 8. As soon as Elijah's brook ran up, it says, then, ran dry, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him. So in the exact same way that God had moved when he was with Ahab, God now moves when the brook runs dry. The same way God spoke and said, now go and hide by the brook, God now says, now get up and go forth from the brook. Guys, our places of hiding are never permanent. In fact, part of our struggle is we're looking for permanence in a temporary world. Even in our spiritual lives, we are looking for that place where we can just sit down and rest and this will be it. This is going to seize I will be from here on out. And the reality is Ecclesiastes told us there is a time and a season for everything. Everything is temporary until we enter into the kingdom of God. In this world, it's all temporary. Be grateful for everything God does, but don't believe any of it is where you will finish up. Let it all be temporary. There's only one relationship in this, in this life that is unto death, and that's marriage. But even that, God gives an expiration date. Unto death. So don't believe that anywhere where you plant yourself is where you should be planted forever. It's where you will be planted until you are full, and then you will be moved on to the next place you belong. He is leading us in stages. He is leading us in maturity. He is leading us in growth that we would grow from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Otherwise, there would be no two in there. It would just say we're going from faith and we're going from glory. But we're moving through it because we all have places where we need to receive and places we need to give. And when we are full, it is time to give so that we can be empty so that we can begin to receive. God speaks clearly to Elijah and he tells him that the word that the Lord, excuse me, the word of the Lord came to him and it said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So the same God who had commanded ravens now commands a widow. Because he takes care of everything you I promise you this today, you are being taken care of. 
You may not have everything you want. It may not be like the person sitting next to you. It may not be working the way you thought it would work, but you are being taken care of because you have a heavenly father and he cares for you. You have a heavenly father whom you can depend on and trust in. You have a heavenly father whose promises are yes and amen. You have a heavenly father who knows how many hairs are on your head. So I promise you this, he knows what your mortgage is. He knows what your diagnosis was. He knows everything you will ever have and ever will face because God does not react to our tension. He creates our tension so we can react to his goodness. He's not looking down and saying, the brook dried up, I better go get a widow. He understood that I will feed him until this point and then I will feed him in another place. Because there's this thing, and I'll start to wrap this up, there's this thing that happens that I overlook in the midst of my tension far too often. God told Elijah, I've commanded a widow there to take care of you, to feed you. So if Elijah's anything like me, he probably expected there to be a widow with a full pantry and he would get there and get whatever he wanted because for the last year he's been eating out of the mouths of birds. It's probably time to have a real good meal. And so he gets to Zarephath, and as he sits down at the gate, he sees a widow, and he decides this must be the one. And so he says, and would you get me some water? She has no problem with that. She turns to go get it, and then he says, and while you're at it, get me some bread. And if we read the story, and give me a little bit of leeway if you don't mind. I read it this way. She's on her way to get water, and then he says, get me bread, and she stops in her tracks. She turns back to him in my mind the way I see it and she says, I can't bring you any bread. She says, I only have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. In fact, I'm out here today gathering sticks so I can go home, make a fire so that I can cook my last loaf of bread because my son and I are gonna eat that and then we're gonna die. And if I'm Elijah, you know what I'm thinking? Must be the wrong widow. Because if God had commanded a widow to feed me, she better have enough food for the three of us. And this lady doesn't even have enough for her and her own son. Thank God Elijah understood that God didn't react to his needs. God created situations so God could show his love and his mercy and even his power. And so Elijah says to her, go home and make your loaf of bread exactly like you said you were going to. But here's the kicker. Make me one first. And this is what the Lord says. You will not run out of flour and you will not run out of oil until it rains. But notice he didn't say you'll have enough. He says you won't run out. So there wasn't this supernatural multiplication that I would like it to be where she got home and there's just mountains of flour and, and, and buckets of oil and she could say, now we've got plenty. No, every day now for two years, every day this woman had to believe, I'm gonna make this and we'll have enough for tomorrow. Every day, God created a situation. He created tension that became a daily tension so that every day while she's cooking, she could be reminded, I didn't have this yesterday, but I will have it tomorrow. She's being reminded, I don't have to worry about how much I have because I will be given whatever I need. And that's the promise that you and I have been given as well. We may not always have what we want, but we have always been given what God desires us to have. But here's the last point I wanna make and then I'll finish. If Elijah's brook never dries up, what happens to that widow and her son? They die. 
What if your dried up brook is bringing someone else to salvation? What if your tension is the answer to someone else's prayers? What if what God's doing in your life that feels painful is actually releasing and relieving pain in someone else's life? What if the promise you think is being broken is actually being fulfilled through God breaks someone else's life? I challenge you and I encourage you today, embrace the tension that God brings into your heart and the tension that he's bringing into your house and the tension that he's bringing into your life. It's not the enemy. It's God trying to move us from a place where we've gotten comfortable and move us in seasons where we want them to stay the same. Things don't stay the same. We serve a God who is constantly moving. Some of you are sitting there right now and saying, wait, but Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. May I just humbly ask you this. Do you really think you've seen all of Jesus? It's not change for him. It's change for us. He doesn't change. You know what changes for us? us? It's revelation from God. It's him making himself known in ways we haven't seen him. It's him making the scripture alive in ways we haven't read it yet or understood it yet. It's him expanding our faith and expanding what he's doing, not just for us, but through us in those who have yet to taste of him at all. He doesn't change, but we have to. We have to. And so this is what I know today. Whatever tension you're experiencing, God is leading you to something greater than what you've had so far. The Spirit of God doesn't let us stay where we've been. leads us to where He is because He's greater than we understand Him to be. Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite passages in all the scripture, Isaiah is ushered into the throne room of God and we're told that there are these seraphim that have six wings. With two they cover their face, with two they cover their feet, and with the other two they fly around the throne of God. And the scripture says that as they fly around the throne of God that they shout to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Here's the key, they're shouting to each other. Do you know what that means? See, I don't shout, if I shout something to my son Noah, if I say, hey Noah, and I shout something to him, you know why I shout it to him? Because I've just discovered something I didn't realize before. See, it's not their job to shout the holiness of God. They are amazed by the holiness of God every time they round his throne again. It's as if they go around and say, he's holy, I never saw that piece before. He's holy, there's newness on this side. He's holy again, and he's holy again, and he's holy again. None of us have seen the fullness of God, but through Christ we are all seeing glimpse after glimpse after glimpse after glimpse. The tension is not settling down in our glimpses, but letting him lead us until we have a clearer picture, a clearer image. And the biggest way that happens, God in ways that's through each other. You've seen God in ways that I haven't. You've seen God in ways that I might not be able to. But if I'll let your glimpses mix with my glimpses, I've now seen him more clearly. And as we begin joining together and together and together, what we have is what Elijah became for this widow in Zarephath, a picture of a living, loving God who doesn't just cut off the rain, he sends food. He sends sustenance. He creates tension so that he can cause transition. Because in every transition of our lives, there's one purpose, that Christ would be glorified so that men would be redeemed. 
God bless you guys. Thank you for welcoming us here today. Pastor. Come again. God bless you. So thank you, Pastor A.B. That was a wonderful word. Thank you so much. Welcome to all the Kalindage family. And I was thinking that uh, Brother A.B. said he was six years old when Brother Andrews died, and I was 28. But A.B., the one who had that funeral was Gordon P. Gardner, and I had the privilege of being mentored under him for 10 years. So your family here, and I want to tell you, we have a minister's retreat in November, and I want you to come, so I'll be in contact with you. God bless you, your wife, your ministry. Let's be in fellowship. That'll be a wonderful thing. Before we just uh, close up here, uh, so nice to see you, Mike. And we're praying for you, Mike. And we're going to pray at the altar for you. You come forward. I also want to acknowledge that we have very special friends here today. Ray and Dawn Beach from Florida. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank them, yes. And I heard Dawn say that she's willing to move back to the Berg, and I'm sticking to it. Amen. Yes. Ray and Dawn were a very special part of us, and Ray served on our board. He was the head usher. He was a real personal friend and just a lover of Jesus, so we're so glad to see them. We have some sad news, too. Alan Carroll, Kajarski, are moving but you know what? We heard about transition, didn't we? And how many knows God can even bless in Florida, right? God can even bless in Florida. So, Al and Carol, we certainly will miss you. We thank you, Al, for your service. And Carol, the blessing you've been. And we'll always remember you, so we'll keep in touch with you, all right? And so God bless you. Lord, we just thank you for these that, um, Lord Jesus, have been with us. We just pray, Father, that you will be with them. And Lord, all that there's a brook, there's provision, there's blessing. Keep them close to you all the days of their life and make them a blessing there. Give them ministry in Jesus' name. We also want to announce that the Shelburns have sold their home. And so Susan and Tom will be moving on. And we have loved them too. A very special family. Tom and Indy are very special to us. So, Lord, we just pray you'll be with the Shelburne family. God, we just thank you for our time together with them. We'll never forget the precious times, the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Bless the Shelburne's, Lord. Bless Alan Carroll, Lord. Bless everyone here today, Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're descending. Thank you that we can say the Lord is our helper. We will not fear what man will do unto us. Thank you that we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. And Lord, today we know we're called. Can you say you're called? Why don't you just say to yourself, I am called of the King. Come on, say it. I am called. I belong to Jesus Christ. He is my father he will never leave home he won't forsake me what i'm going through now he's preparing to bring me into a greater victory to whatever it might be even though it seems hard there's something he is working as our brother spoke 
to give you a greater revelation of how great he is. And when you go through this test, you're going to have the ability to help someone else. You're going to have a faith to touch somebody with the love of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we're just going to dismiss in a moment. But I think we all ought to just have a time of thanking Jesus. I want you to thank him for the test you're in. Oh, boy. I felt question marks go up. You thank him, not for the test, but that the test is making you strong in the Lord. That the trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth. That it's working a far and exceeding and eternal weight of glory in your life. And you are being changed from glory to glory because God is fashioning you for eternity. Thank Him for the test that's passed. Thank Him for the victory ahead. How about before we leave, we just all thank God that as our brother spoke, we are in His hands. And he is in the midst of our hearts. And he is never going to leave or forsake. And nothing just happens to a child of God. God is in your fiery furnace. God is in the storm. God is in the midst of his people. Come on, let's just all thank him. Lord Jesus, come on, stand. Let's praise him. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, that you never leave nor forsake, Lord. God, I pray that you'll give us all faith today that you are in the midst of that situation and that you are bringing us forth as gold. And Lord, we give you praise. How many can thank him that you're not where you were, you're not what you used to be? Come on, let's thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your mighty name. Thank you that you have begun a good work and you're going to finish it. We do thank you. 